0: Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me as always is Vincent M. Wales. And today we have a great guest all the way from the UK. We're fairly certain that this is our first guest who actually lives in is it england can we say england or do we have to say uk it shows you how well traveled i am
2: <laughs> you can say i'm in london you can say england or, or uk
1: wonderful I, I have heard of london so i, I feel <laughs> I, I feel very good but but before we move much smirth- no, let
3: me start that over
1: but before we go much smirk <laughs>
3: <laughs> am i experiencing schadenfreude
1: Oh, man. (laughs) We did that on purpose, everyone, so that I could introduce Dr. Tiffany Watt-Smith. She's a senior research fellow at the Queen Mary University of London Center for History of Emotions. And she's the author of a couple of books, one of which is the Book of Human Emotions and a new book that's out, Schadenfreude, The Joy of Another's Misfortune. Right out of the gate, Tiffany, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, thank you, you know, for having me. Thanks for mocking my mispronunciation <laughs> of everything. It, it, it uh, I, I want everybody to know that I did that intentionally for illustrative uh-huh. purposes. <laughs> uh-huh.
3: <laughs> Great. All right, I have to ask this right up front. What exactly is the Center for the History of Emotions?
2: Well, we are a group of researchers in London. There's a few different research groups around the world who look at the history of emotions. But what we look at is how ideas about emotions have changed over time, how different some emotions come into fashion, like boredom in the 19th century, and others sort of drop away so that there are some emotions which used to exist that no longer do. But the main thing we're really interested in is trying to understand the origins of some of the emotions that we care most about today so a lot of us look at the histories for example of happiness and the whole well-being agenda and we look at the history of anxiety and shame and things like that and we look at all kinds of sources whether we're looking at literature and art or philosophy and medicine to try and understand the way thinking about emotions has changed across time
1: that is very cool and of course one of the things that you are looking into is the emotion where somebody gains joy when something bad happens to another person, which is referred to as and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the word, I always do Schroudenfrada. Yeah, <laughs> you sure did. Schadenfreude, yeah.
2: yeah. I mean again on purpose, good mispronunciation. Yes. yes. Um, so so yeah, literally Schaden from um harm or mis or damage, uh Freude meaning joy. So damaged joy, and it means the glee or quiet, smug self-satisfaction that we might feel when witnessing someone else's accident or misfortune or minor mishap.
3: Yeah, we've all experienced that, and I think a lot of us immediately following that experience guilt. feeling that way.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think that this is one of the reasons why I was so drawn to this topic. I mean, not many people write about Schadenfreude, although certainly over the centuries people have wondered about this emotion. Why do we feel it? What kind of situations do we feel it in? Is it ever morally okay to feel like this? And certainly, I think what I found was that Schadenfreude is a, a hugely interesting and often quite paradoxical feeling emotion. Um, because on the one hand, it seems to be rather possibly spiteful or malicious, even, you know, sort of um, enjoying seeing someone who's more successful than you, not getting that promotion, uh, enjoying seeing that effortlessly attractive friend getting dumped, you know, whatever whatever that thing is. But but at the same time, Chardonnay does link into some of those things which we value most in our human societies. The thing that stands out most to me is justice. One of the reasons why we feel schadenfreude often is because we feel that someone's getting a kind of deserved comeuppance it's only fair that they should suffer in some way so you know someone shoves past you in the in the queue at the supermarket and then their credit card is declined or they steal your parking spot, and then prang the front of their car on a bollard you know these little things that kind of give us a little jolt of of pleasure in our day I think we think well it's karma you know they deserved it maybe next time they won't be so you know try to get one over on us and so on so I think that Schadenfreude might seem quite antisocial, but actually often when we think about it more, we can understand that it's really connected to our you know, very cherished ideas about justice and fairness as well. Well, yeah,
1: and you brought up the word karma. Is this just karma? Is it something more? And is there an English word for this? Or is it really just Schadenfreude? I'm gonna get it right before the end of the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, there is no English word for this particular pleasure, although over the centuries people have, have had a go at trying to invent one. So around the sixteenth century someone uh tried to introduce epicaricacy. Um but that, you know, is a real mouthful and that definitely did not catch on because about hundred years later you've got people saying, Oh, why don't we why don't we have a word for this in English? Um, yeah, and I can't but, pronounce uh, that uh, word uh,
1: either. So <laughs> <that's>,
2: <laughs> I'm glad that
1: one didn't work. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that, it was a terrible, ugly word. It comes from the ancient Greek for this for this particular feeling. But certainly many other cultures and languages have a word for this, but you better not ask me to pronounce it because I definitely can't. But they are, it's there in Danish and in uh, French. Um, uh, the Japanese have a saying, a really wonderful saying, that the misfortunes of others tastes like honey. Um, so hmm. this idea is around in many different languages. But in English, I, I, I can only assume that Over the centuries, we've uh, found the idea so distasteful and, and believe that it's not us that feel like this, but only other people do, that we've just never quite given it a name.
1: It's interesting that you said only other people feel this way when we've all felt this way. I personally have felt this way, and I consider myself to be a good person. I, I know that Vin has felt this way, and and uh, I will personally vouch that Vin is a good person. But <laughs> but it is sort of a, like you said, people feel guilt about it. What is up with that? Is it just part of our makeup? Is there a biological need to feel this way? Why? Uh, you study emotions. Why do we have
2: this? So there's lots of different questions there. Um, yeah, just to say up front, I absolutely recognise the guilt and the discomfort around it. And even after having spent a long time writing a book about it, in which I was in the situation where I had to kind of confess my terrible Schadenfreude crimes, I still feel a certain amount of awkwardness uh, talking about it. So maybe the question about why we might feel guilty about it we can come back to, but there's certainly lots of reasons why we might feel this emotion, and and yes, why we might have be primed to feel like this. You know, I've already mentioned about justice and how important it is actually that we enjoy seeing transgressors get some kind of comeuppance, and it's fairly obvious, I think, to assume that you know those pleasures are have been ingrained in us from a very early stage in our social evolution because human societies depend on on justice to to run smoothly so it makes sense that we would enjoy seeing transgressors exposed or embarrassed or or punished in some way again that i think that that makes sense for forms of fairness you know when we when we sense that someone is Perhaps got a bigger slice of the cake than, than we have. You know, someone is very wealthy or seems to have all the talent or all the luck. Or you know, and, and then we see that person sort of not quite get what they want. You know, perhaps gets tripped up in some way. The the enviably good-looking person in your school uh, gets a huge spot on the day of the dance. Something stupid like that. It gives us a little feeling of you know that the, the playing field has been leveled again. Things feel a bit fairer. Um, again, very important for for our societies to survive, but also important because you know we find ourselves as humans living in groups, it, constantly comparing ourselves to one another, um, trying to uh, make sure that we are not falling too far behind and, and making sure that we can get a, a good share of the resources and so on. And, and so the, in these kind of small competitive ways, which are completely normal and natural, even if they don't always feel very pleasant, then shunford does play an important part because it's a sort of little moment of recognition that, ah oh, yes, this person that we were competing with, you know, slightly fallen behind and that makes us feel a little boost that we might be just about getting ahead. I think that's kind of completely normal. So
1: it's like a boost of confidence that maybe pushes us a little further and and allows the the gap to, to shorten a little, you know, from the we can't overcome to wait, I, I see a, a possibility.
2: So the pleasure isn't simply, you know, ha-ha, you've fallen flat on your face. It's, it's, it's also a sense of um, optimism and potential for, for us, for, for our thing that we're trying to get going. One of the areas I think this is really fascinating with, actually, is, is in relation to work in the workplace. You know, so, so much schadenfreude in the workplace. Particularly, I think, in relation, in, in relation to those who are our superiors, you know, our bosses and so on. And there's nothing sort of more delightful, really, than seeing that person who wields power over you, you know, experience some minor embarrassment. Um, because it allows us to kind of feel that, you know, that, that, that sort of possibly not very nice boss you know, when, they, when they, have, they experience some sort of mishap, it allows us to kind of see a little chink, little glimpse of possibility where we might sort of steal back a tiny bit of power of our own. Um, psychologically, I think that's very important.
3: So basically what you're saying is that despite this sounding like a rather spiteful and, and awful emotion to suffer, we might actually get something positive out of it.
2: I think of, of course, we do get something positive about it out of it because it is, gives us pleasure and and that, and that is hugely important. But yes, so the positivity may actually sort of extend to thinking about ways in which we form more coherent and stable societies, which I think is the unexpected thing about Schadenfreude. I think Schadenfreude works in all kinds of other ways, too. One of the things that's found again and again in the research on this emotion is that it, it really does help bond groups together. I mean, this isn't unexpected. I think we've all seen this, for example, with rival sports teams. Um, and, you know, Schadenfreude is, you know, taking pleasure in, the, you know, the own goal of the other side. That's one way in which uh, a, a team can really bond together. Uh, is not just that you put the other side down. It's also that you're, you, you, you laugh together, you, you feel pleasure together, and, and laughing together and bond is, is a very bonding and important experience. Um, now, of course, that can go too far and it can have quite unpleasant effects. So we can talk about that perhaps in a bit. But it does. But we do see Schadenford playing this really important role in, in, in cohering groups together. Actually, that, uh, there's been some research on, on laughter that suggests that, that, that this may have really been a very important mechanism far, far back in the evolutionary past there was a study done in, in the university of oxford by robin dunbar who's a he's an evolutionary psychologist he and he um was looking at all kinds of laughter but that but he fell on looking at um sort of belly laughter you know when you're laughing so hard that it actually hurts and, and it's only humans that have this kind of laughter and he found that um people only ever laughed like that in response to slapstick So people falling over, you know, hitting themselves on the head with buckets and so on. And he found that when people laughed like that, then um, shortly after they were able to withstand much greater pain than they were beforehand, or if they laughed in some other way. So the Um,
1: three Stooges were saving lives.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is what he's suggesting. He's saying that perhaps this kind of this kind of slapstick entertainment has has been part of our you know, our cultural heritage for, for, you know, for a really, really long time. And when our distant ancestors were all laughing together around a fire at someone, you know, pretending to get hit on the toe with a hammer, um, that that actually that laughter was important, not just because it it formed people into those groups that were crucial for survival, but also because it allowed people to cope in in very hostile and dangerous environments where there was a lot of pain. Um, I thought that was really intriguing. We'll
1: see you in about 30 seconds after these messages from our sponsor.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com.
3: Welcome back everyone. We're here with Dr. Tiffany Watt Smith discussing Schadenfreude. I think that
1: comedians for a long time, and even myself, I'm I'm not a comedian, but I I do public speaking, and I, I know that if I make fun of myself, then the audience is more likely to laugh. And there's comedians that have made their whole careers about talking about how they're, you know, bad friends, bad, you know, they're they're ugly or they're fat or they're worthless or they're pointless or you, you know, this this self deprecating humor is just very common in our society. Is, is that an example of a schadenfreude? Nope, still got it wrong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think, yeah, there you go, you dig it right now. Um, I think that uh, that is really one of the most neglected forms of schadenfreude, in that people, when people write about schadenfreude, they really don't often talk about this particular phenomenon. And I think this is, an example of how we use schadenfreude all the time i mean if you start a new job uh, you know you'll go into that office or that new group of people and you and you will tell a um a self-deprecating story of something you know some terrible disaster that happened to you on the way to work you know you you do it not just to entertain people but so that you are seen as as less of a threat you know that the kind of person who's coming into a new group or is the outsider or always seems like a threatening person so so those kind of stories allow people to laugh at you uh, and laugh with you laugh at your expense i suppose um and that, uh, you know, is a way of, of being accepted into the group uh, as much as it is a, a way of giving everyone else pleasure. And as you say, you know, it's an absolute staple of stand-up comedy. And stand-up comics know that people enjoy hearing about the suffering of other people and, uh, and, and stand-up gives uh, them a license to enjoy it, I think.
1: And schadenfreude is also an example of the millionaire with the tax problem, or the the very tall person who bangs his head on the in the doorway and, and, and things like that. These, these are all little examples of where they have something very desirable, but that desirable thing also has a negative. Uh, so maybe it's like every silver lining has a cloud, or am I oversimplifying or undersimplifying?
2: Look, one of the things that I I found when I was trying to tackle writing this book was that, you know, this is a very complex emotion. You know, there are some emotions which feel like quite simple to think about because it's a trigger and a response. And it's kind of one thing, you know, scary bear, you know, your heart rate races and you you run away. And Schadenfreude isn't quite like that kind of emotion. It's what psychologists call a cognitive emotion. Um, So a cognitive emotion means that it's involved with, appraising and judging a situation and, and and doing all kinds of sort of very fast mental calculations to work out whether someone really deserves it whether it's really funny or whether in fact this person needs our help whether they've really injured themselves or whether they've just sort of suffered some minor embarrassment you know so all of these complicated things are going on when we experience schadenfreude and we experience it in relation to a kind of vast range of different sorts of phenomena or in a vast range of different kind of situations so, so sometimes it can be as simple as someone slipping on a banana skin or the three stooges or, or and sometimes it's to do with you know that seeing someone who we think has behaved really unfairly being called out or lambasted in the in the media and, and yeah and sometimes it is these situations where we feel you know we almost tell ourselves that you know, this a highly desirable trait, you know, being very tall, being very glamorous, I don't know, being, being very clever or being able to speak 12 languages, you know, has in fact got its, down, its downsides. And this is part of the little trick we, we, we play on ourselves. and we, I'm sure we all do it, you know, a, a way of just making life's inevitable unfairnesses that little bit more palatable. It's not just us that experience difficulty, failure, embarrassment, you know, everyone does. And I think that's what we, we, we want to remind ourselves of that continually.
3: I don't think it should be any surprise to anyone that the schadenfreude Freude is is a complex emotion because most emotions are. You think about all the different forms of love that we have, I mean, the Greeks had several different names for the different types. So it stands to reason that, that this would be in the same category, right?
2: My last book, The Book of Human Emotions, um, And and I did a TED talk about this as well. It it, uh, makes exactly this argument that it doesn't really make sense to distinguish between very simple emotions and and complex or cognitive emotions, Um, because actually all emotions have this very powerful cognitive element. Um, And uh, in fact, you know, even something as simple or apparently simple as as fear uh, has a hugely rich history and changes so much across different cultures that actually fear emerges as a very complicated emotion that, that seems to have very different kind of physical and, and ex- experiential responses when we feel it. So, yeah, thanks for pulling me up on that, because actually, you know, I want to make the point that schadenfreude is perhaps more of a, a, an appraisal or, or judgment-based emotion than some others. But as you say, you know, all emotions have this, have this richness and complexity.
1: Now, Vince and I are based here in America, and I know you live in London. So this this might be somewhat of a difficult question to answer, uh, just because of, you know the different the different cultures. But we both have the internet. And when somebody falls down or gets hurt or something bad happens, that video or message will will go viral pretty easily. Whereas when somebody does something well or something good, uh, it it doesn't get seen as much. And, you know, in in America, we have a a lot of unrest as far as, you know, political parties and race and, and even, you know, gender and sexuality. Are we living in the age of schadenfreude are we just excited when bad things happen to people that we have dubbed our enemies I, and i know that's that's a that's a big big question but it it seems like we're almost searching out for bad things to happen to people and uh, you know with with facebook and the internet it, it's easier and easier to find
2: yeah i mean this phrase "an age of schadenfreude um was again was one of the reasons why i was Became interested in this topic because you know uh, when you're a historian of emotions, you know this kind of phrase, you know we're living in an age of blah 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 emotion, is, is really tantalising. You know what is it about this emotion that makes people feel like it really defines the spirit of their times? Uh, and you certainly get over the centuries, people saying, well, you know, oh, in the 18th century we're living in an age of sympathy, uh, in the 19th century we're living in an age of boredom, in the early 20th century we're living in an age of anxiety. Anyway, now we are living in an age of schadenfreude. I think I do uh, absolutely recognise what you're describing, which is that sort of apparently insatiable uh, hunger for the spectacle of failure, you know, whether that is, or particularly, I think, if that is a politician. uh, uh, But certainly anyone in our sort of disliked, you know, enemy camp, as it were, and we see that person mess up in some way, there's a kind of celebration, and that celebration seems to be more public than it ever has been. I think there's two important things to think about. I mean, one is, is obviously that Schadenfreude has always been with us, but it is a lot more visible now than it used to be because of the internet, because of the ways in which we can um, demonstrate and register our pleasure in likes and shares and, you know, thumbs up and so on. Uh, you know that that would never have been that would just wouldn't have been possible in the same way you know even 30 years ago. So in in a sense the, that Schadenfreude is much more visible than it used to be, but there's also something about the way in which the internet works that I think possibly exacerbates our Schadenfreude. Uh, as I said, we experience a lot of Schadenfreude when we feel uh, or perceive that someone's uh, misfortune or mishap is deserved in some way. Now, if you spend... 10 minutes, you know, wandering around your local streets, you're probably not going to encounter many situations that outrage you uh, and many examples of terrible injustices being carried out. But if you spend 10 minutes wandering around the internet, you are going to see lots of injustice coming at you. You know, whether that's looking at the news, whether that's looking at even at your local Facebook group with everyone complaining about their fly tipping or the person who doesn't pick up their dog poo or whatever it is you know so there's all sorts of unfairnesses and yeah, and outrage uh being prompted online but also it's much easier for us to register our disapproval you know to tell someone off and to enjoy the spectacle of someone being told off when we're online than it is in uh, our face-to-face interactions because of course you know if you see someone on the street doing something uh, wrong, you're unlikely to march up to that person and tell them off. And you're certainly not going to stand there and point and laugh at them if someone else tells them off because you know you might get punched or, you know, you might risk sort of some other kind of social embarrassment. But you know, on the uh, when we're online, it's it's all, you know, we're completely protected from that and there's very little risk uh, in, in in calling someone out and enjoying it. So I think that so the internet I think makes Schadenfreude much more visible but it also, I think, uh, creates an environment where we can really let our schadenfreude rip. And um, that is something that I think is really important for us to be aware of. And, and that's why I think this emotion is very interesting for us to think about now. Um, because as you say, schadenfreude is, becomes hugely powerful when we are divided into enemy camps. And, and when, you know, when, when we're in rivalries and those rival groups are set against each other. You know, study after study shows that Schadenfreude is very powerful when we're in groups and very powerful when uh, we're rivals. And, and so it, it's a very, um, you know, it's a powerful combination of things, you know, very um, strong, um, uh, strong divisions, for example, politically, as, as there are here in the UK at the moment, certainly. And then also this platform, uh, online platforms that make it very easy to share and enjoy our glee at the other side's misfortune. So that was a very long answer to that question. I mean, there is another reason why I think that the age of Schadenfreude might have caught our attention at the moment. Uh, it might be that we're feeling, I think we are feeling more Schadenfreude than before, and I think it's definitely more visible. But, but we're also more anxious about Schadenfreude, I think. For the last hundred years, there's really no articles published with the word Schadenfreude in the title. But since about the year 2000, there have been hundreds published. So there's a sudden influx of interest among psychologists and philosophers and social scientists and so on about Schadenfreude. And this it, this real interest comes off the back of, uh, you know, the surge of interest from the 1990s onwards in empathy. So Schadenfreude in this context is presented as the opposite of empathy or the failure of empathy uh, or empathy's shadow. Uh, and so this is the sense why people got, got quite anxious and worried about Schadenfreude. Um, since empathy is so desirable, what does Schadenfreude tell us about ourselves? Um, now, I personally think this opposition between Schadenfreude and empathy is, is, is problematic and doesn't quite work. But nonetheless, this is one of the reasons why we've got so interested in Schadenfreude today.
3: Well, I had a question that you already answered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, was, I was <laughs> That's definitely, how good you I are. Gonna, Thank you. Yeah, I was going to bring up <laughs> compassion and, and empathy, and, and you've already touched on that. So great. We really appreciate it. And we are probably about out of time, too. Okay. Oh, sorry. I just rattled on. No, please don't apologize. It's
1: fantastic. Thank you so much. We we learned so much. I I saw a Broadway musical, Avenue Q, where they had a song that had schadenfreude in it. And, and it was, you know, funny. Obviously, they, they explain it for the, the purpose of humor, not for education. So we're very excited to have you on this to lend to it, because it's a very popular musical here in the States. So I imagine a lot of people uh, have... Uh, some little bit of information about schadenfreude, but not, not as much as you just gave us. So we really appreciate it. How do we find you? What's your website I, book?
2: I have, I, I don't have, I have a university website. So if you just Google my name, that will come up. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's how, <laughs> that's how you <laughs> What's your Twitter it. handle? <laughs> uh, it is um, at Dr. Tiff Watt Smith
1: beautiful beautiful and of course your book is it available on amazon where fine books are sold
2: i'm sure it's available anywhere where fine books are sold yeah
1: excellent and you have you have the two books what are the name of the two books uh
2: so there's uh, the book of human emotions and this one is called schadenfreude the joy of another's misfortune wonderful
1: thank you so much for being here we really enjoyed having you yes we do oh
2: thanks for, thanks for having me it's was, it was great to to you
1: you're very welcome. And thank you, everybody else, for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting BetterHelp.com slash We will see everybody next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Psych Central Show. Please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psychcentral is overseen by Dr. John Grohol, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at gabehoward.com.